Welcome to another episode of Sisters in Conversation. I'm your host, Debello Motswane. I'm an attorney by profession and the founder of a platform called Sister in Law, which is a platform dedicated to empowering women through legal education. On today's show, I have with me Lerato Tahane. Lerato is a partner at a leading African law firm, Bowman Gilfillan Incorporated. She practices in the corporate department of her firm, specializing in mergers and acquisitions. She has advised private and public companies on a number of domestic and cross-border acquisitions and disposals, empowerment transactions, general corporate matters, commercial matters, group restructurings, and unbundling of shareholdings. She has many years of experience working on significant and at times high-profile in- and outbound transactions in various countries in Africa and Europe. A number of her transactions have been in the mining, manufacturing, energy, and oil and gas sectors. Lerato joined Bowman's in, 20, in, you know, in 2011, between, and between 2018 and 2019, she practiced at the Munich office of international law firm Freshfields Brackhaus Duringer, while she advised on both mergers and acquisitions and private equity transactions. Lerato holds an LLB degree and a certificate in advanced com- company law from the University of the Witwatersrand. She also has a notarial practice and conveyancing certificate from the Center for Conveyancing Practice. Lerato, welcome to the show. Hi, Develo. Thank you very, very much for having me. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be in conversation with a fellow sister in the law. Thank you so much for making time and availing yourself for the interview. Um, I, I just note here that the the law firm you worked for in Munich really dribbled me. How do you pronounce it? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you and me both until I started working with I was them. like, what's going on here? <laughs> no, don't worry. That's, that's such a... It, it happens to the most of us, to the best of us. So it's called Frechfields Brookhaus Deringer. So the last two, two, two surnames in that name mm. are Austrian and German. So... Um, it, it would be a huge ambition to expect South Africans to know how to pronounce that at first bash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the, the, the first, the, the last two surnames are more like a trap. <laughs> they are, but everyone just calls the firm uh, Freshfield. Yeah, yeah, Lerato. So um, today's conversation is, you know, um, as I explained to you off, offline, that I profile uh, women of color in the legal profession just to hear about your experiences and obviously to give exposure to women who we don't ordinarily know about um, unless, you know, we're in the legal profession. So the show really is aimed at educating um, aspiring attorneys, whether they are students or whether they are in different um, different industries and wanting to make the transition into the legal profession and also you know just just to educate ourselves between um, ourselves and the profession I mean a lot of us only really know of you know women who have written articles or contributed to legal journals so yeah today is just a bit about getting to know you who is Lerato um, you know start at the beginning how many siblings do you have which high school did you go to and why did you pursue a degree in law Sure. Um, listen, I what you do is so powerful for young women, and I, I, I want you to know that you are making the biggest impact. Thank you. Um, I've always been the biggest believer in the healing and inspiring power of stories and conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, many of my magic moments where light bulbs went off in my head or in my heart have been in the context of either being engaged in powerful conversation or Mm. listening to powerful stories and conversations. And that you can bottle that and make it available to people at their fingertips is fantastic. So I hope that you keep doing what you do. I hope that you keep inspiring young minds and and also reigniting old minds. I don't think your platform is only for for young, young women. Um, and yeah, no, keep keep doing what you're doing. Thank you um, so much, Lerato. Thank you. I so so I suppose you want me to start at the beginning, yeah. um, by telling you a little bit about myself. So I grew up Kopinville Soweto. Mm. 
Uh, I'm a Joburg girl, born and bred. Mm. I went to school in Joburg. I went to varsity in Joburg. And I'll tell you a little more about all of that shortly. Mm. And I now work in Joburg. And I love the city. I love the energy. I love the people. I love the opportunities available. Mm. Um, over the last couple of years, I've had the privilege of living and working and traveling many cities across the U.S., Europe, and the rest of Africa. Yeah. And each time I do... Uh, I miss home deeply because this is just where my heart is. And I can't introduce myself without saying that because I, I am Jobbik. Yes, yes. Um, so I grew up in Kimbil Soweto. Um, I lived with my mom, my dad, my three sisters, and my three dogs. That's our family. Sure. Um, I was one of three girls. Um, and if you meet my sisters one day, you will never forget them. We are very strong women very strong personalities, mm. we're all very strong-willed, very different, very opinionated, very convicted in our way. Um, and growing up in a household like this, it forced me to learn at a very, very young age how to stand up for myself, mm. how to negotiate for myself, and how to fight for myself. Incredible, um, and, sure. <laughs> and many of those traits have shaped the person that I am mm, today. Mm. Um, and in a lot of ways, they've also shaped the kind of lawyer that I eventually became. Mm. Um, you asked me to let you know why I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, growing up, I think I've always been a fairly talented public speaker. Mm. Um, I wrote very well from a very young age. And I read ferociously. Um, and I always had a very natural affinity for advocacy. Um, mm. Whether I'm advocating for the rights of my dogs and why they deserve to sit in the house with us, <laughs> even though my parents believe holy dogs sit outside. They hey, you know our that. parents. You know exactly. our parents. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for Soweto. <laughs> or, you know, whether I'm advocating for why I should be allowed to attend or host a sleepover, because again, mm, my dad mm. was not a fan of those mm. things. Um, and every time I argued relentlessly with my parents and won an argument, they would close off by saying, hey, you should be a lawyer. You've got an answer for everything. Mm. You've got a loud mouth. And hopefully one day you can monetize that. Yeah. Uh, and rightly or wrongly, that planted a seed for me. Um, and I spent quite a lot of time reflecting on that. Um, and when I got old enough, I started researching, okay, what is this law thing? Mm. You know, what is a lawyer? What do they do? Um, what kind of personalities do they have? What kind of skills and passions do they have naturally that, that help them excel in what they do? Mm -hmm. And from a very young age, the more I read up on who, who lawyers are and what they do, uh, the more I started to convince myself that I have what it takes mm. to be a good lawyer. Um, and once I decided that I wanted to be a lawyer, it wasn't long until I stopped talking about whether or not I want to be a lawyer. And I started talking about how I would set myself up to be one of the best lawyers that this country has ever seen. Sure. And that ambition, I'll be honest, it grew exponentially. And I became quite unstoppable <laughs> in my pursuit of becoming one of the best lawyers, working at one of the best firms doing some of the most high-impact work. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, I didn't always want to be a corporate lawyer. Uh, <laughs> you laugh, but I started off mm. wanting to be a human rights lawyer. Sure. A very um, important role as well. Exactly. Mm. Um, and, and I say that you laugh because it's kind of, it kind of sits on the opposite side of the spectrum yes, to where I yes. ended up. <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer and I went as far as doing vacation work when I was at varsity mm. um, at um, Lawyers for Human Rights and also at the Human Rights Commission. Mm. And I struggled there. And the consistent feedback that I got was that I got too attached to the cases that I was working on. Sure, I can imagine. And I got too emotionally invested. Mm, I remember mm. getting into big trouble when uh, the partner I was assigned to during the VAC program found out that after work, I went to Hillbrow to find one of the families that we were representing sure. to drop off food for them and 
<laughs> all sorts of things that I was told lawyers don't do mm. and that I was setting a bad precedent for other people that worked for the organization. Um, and I was just drained. Um, I think I did three weeks of back work with lawyers for human rights and two weeks of back work with the Human Rights Commission. And I was depressed that whole time because I was confronted on a daily basis with one, the insurmountable amount of need mm-hmm. um, out there. And at the same time, just the lack of resources that these fantastic lawyers uh, had at their yeah. disposal. Yeah. Sure. And so that dream very quickly died mm. and I decided that I wanted to be an employment lawyer and I specifically wanted to represent the rights of employees in the mining industry. Mm. Um, so I did some research and I went as far as doing back work at two boutique mining law firms. Um, but that didn't go so well either because I realized that both firms did the opposite of what I wanted to do. Mm. So mm. that was an epic fail. Um, and I remember a conversation that I had with one of my mentors at the time where I was just feeling completely demotivated by what felt like had been a waste of time, right? Doing all this back work and realizing that I can't be a human rights lawyer, doing all this back work, realizing that I'm struggling to find my place as an employment lawyer. And she told yeah, me no. um, that she knew of a senior lawyer at Bowman's. Hmm. who was in the corporate department doing some fantastic corporate work, but she was juggling on the side some wonderful philanthropy um, and making a huge impact in various communities that she operated in. Um, And this mentor of mine thought that I might benefit from meeting this lawyer just to understand how it is she was able to marry a big, career sort of in big law mm. in big corporates while also making a big impact in society um, yeah. and i i met up with this lawyer we had lunch in santon one friday afternoon um the lunch was scheduled to i think it was scheduled for an hour and a half and it ended up being four hours i love those <laughs> those are the best right i love those um and we really just clicked. It was the most organic connection mm, of two mm, minds you can mm. imagine. I think she saw herself in me. I saw myself in her. Um, and we completely hit it off. Long story short, by the end of that lunch, um, I found out that she was kicking off the, the writing of a legal textbook called um, HIV AIDS and the Law, a practitioner's guide to sort of advising people in the HIV AIDS space. Mm, mm. By the end of that lunch, I was appointed project manager for the writing of that book. Ooh. And I, I worked with her to compile that book alongside some of the best lawyers, advocates and judges in the country. I mean, we worked with, um, amongst others, sort of Justice Cameron at the time mm, mm. to put that legal book together. And it was a huge success in the end. But to think this all sort of, you know, was born out of the lunch date that we had (laughs) to help me figure out what kind of lawyer I was going to be. Um, The other thing that happened by the end of that lunch date is I'd agreed to do VAC work at Bowman's. Um, And I I did VAC work a couple of months later. And I suppose the rest is history. Sure. Thank you so much for giving us, you know, deep insights into how you came about um, being an attorney. But the one thing I really, you know, um, picked up from from your story is that you did a lot of research to sort of um, sieve out what you didn't want, if I can say. And, 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 And the thing that I like sharing with my mentees is that sometimes you don't have to really know what you want, but knowing what you don't want is also a great place to start. So you knew by the end of your, um, you know, uh, internship at, at Human Rights that that's something you definitely don't want. And I feel that with everything that you knew you definitely didn't want, it led you to, you know, um, this role that you, you didn't really picture it, but here it is now. Exactly. And I think I learned that sort of in hindsight. I, I'd always been quite a deeply reflective young young lady Mm. Um, and to me it meant a lot to research something to execute and then to succeed Mm. Um, and the reason I was just so demotivated after these 
you know, I call them failed attempts in inverted commas because they were actually successes. It was because I was expecting success to look like doing back work, Mm. realizing that you find a winner and sticking there. But Mm. you're absolutely right that figuring out what you don't want is a step closer to discovering what you do want. Mm. And this thing is trial and error. I think we're always taught that, you know, we must succeed first time, that, you know, failure is not acceptable. But I, I think failing forward is how you become mm, a successful mm. person. So I absolutely appreciate the twists and the turns and the speed humps along the way mm. because they genuinely have shaped me into the person I am today. And they've helped me build some fantastic networks, mm. which sure. to this day serve me in, in the work that I do, whether it's at Bowman's or outside of the mm, office. Mm, mm. Sure, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, When we spoke offline, you also you know made reference to the fact that uh, there were financial limitations at home. And I often find myself um, answering to students who, you know, just need a little bit of motivation on what to do because they can't afford their um, their studies and um, NAFSIS hasn't approved their applications. Can you just tell us how you got around the financial limitations? Of course. Um, I think sort of... Uh the money story for me goes way back to when I was about 11, 12. Um, I mentioned that I was always a very deeply reflective child and I was not confused by the fact that my folks were Mm. always spread thin growing up. Mm. I mean, they were raising three girls, very robust girls. Mm. Um, My dad is the eldest in his family. So he was taking care of quite a lot of people in, in his own family. And my mom was doing the same on her side. Um, So I became acutely aware that at the end of the month, you know, uh, our our budget was being spread across a number of different families. And there was only so much Mm -hmm. that my folks could do for us as a result. Um, And this for me wasn't wasn't crippling. In fact, I respected them so much for, for being who they were. Um, so when I was in grade six, I started thinking about high school and I remember sitting my parents down one Sunday afternoon and saying, listen, um, I've got a picture in my head of the kind of high school I want to go to. Mm. Um, but I'm also very aware that, you know, there isn't a lot of money at home, um, to send me to this kind of school. Mm. So can we brainstorm who we can partner with? in order to make this a reality because I don't want to compromise on the kind of school I go to, mm. but I also don't want to kill my parents trying to make the impossible happen for me. Mm. Um, they were so grateful for, for that conversation and how proactive I was. And they also admitted that alone, they wouldn't be able to make, you know, my dream for high yes, school happen. So yes. We did a lot of research and we came across an organization called the Student Sponsorship Program. Mm. And what they do is offer uh, academic scholarships to um, young students, well, young scholars who are academically gifted, but from sort of backgrounds with limited financial means. Mm. Um, And they... They sort of allowed me to apply. I went through the most stressful admission process I've ever been through my whole life. Um, It involved, I mean, I was still in grade six and I had to write sort of grade eight end of year exams for English, math, science, Mm -hmm. so that they could calibrate where we were. Uh, One thing led to another, various interview rounds later, and they awarded me a full academic scholarship to study through high school and also to cover my financial sort of commitments in throughout varsity. Oh my which goodness, Which involved so raise, textbooks, um, tuition fees, the whole nine yards. So by the time I went into high school, my parents sort of knew that that's one sort of weight taken off of their shoulder sure. and they could really focus on the other things which they thought were important, you know, in terms of making me a well-rounded uh, scholar mm. and a student later on. But how did how was the pressure with that? Did you find any pressure in that you couldn't let um, the ball drop and that you always had to produce, you know, A grades, even when things were, you know, maybe challenging at home? How did you just find the pressure of of having to keep the sponsorship going for over eight years? 
I found the pressure, honestly, a big motivating factor. Mm. Um, if if I was only studying for my, you know, just to make myself and my family proud, then I think maybe that motivation, it comes and it goes. But knowing that I had a whole organization behind me, mm. that I had sponsors, people who'd put their money on the line in order mm. to help build my career, um, and, you know, one of the things that this organization did is the moment they put you through the scholarship, you get assigned a mentor who holds your hand and helps you through sort of the adjustment um, to school and then to varsity and then in the workplace. And I had this mentor whom I looked up to beyond words and I just wanted to make them proud. Um, and for me, that, that was a big motivator. It was mm. a positive motivating factor that helped me every day when I didn't feel like reading or studying or doing extra homework I'd go but I have all these people who believe in me I want to make them proud I want to let them know that I deserve this amazing gift they've given me in a lot of ways I saw myself as a product of their generosity and I didn't want to let them down Mm. Um, and for me it was a very very positive positive thing I mean till this day I myself am putting um, a child through school through the same organization and still contributing to that organization, mentoring a student. And we've started an alumni body of all of us to think about how we can better give back into this organization. Amazing. So it means a lot. It it always did. um, and, And it kind of always will. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing, Rato. So you are a partner at a leading African law firm. You started working there in 2011 as a candidate attorney. And I mean, not, not just everybody makes it to, to, to being partner at especially a you know, top five law firm in South Africa and Africa. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey as a candidate attorney? Um, my understanding is that there would have been a rotation period in your first two years of, of articles and, you know, how did you land in mergers and acquisitions? How did you land um, to being a partner? What were some of the challenges you faced as especially, um, you know, a black woman? And what are some of the challenges you may have faced internally, like imposter syndrome, you know, just doubting yourself and your capabilities and whether you're deserving of, of all the promotions that you went through? Sure, I'm very happy to, to share that. Um, so you've rightly pointed out uh, Bowman's has a rotation system. So when mm. I got to, to Bowman's, I was, um, I was placed in the competition practice. Um, and I spent six months there. I enjoyed the work that we did. Um, uh, but I, I always knew deep down inside that I wasn't a competition lawyer at heart. Mm, mm. Um, I still had it in the back of my mind that maybe I could be an employment lawyer. So when we were asked to choose where you know I'd want to go for my second rotation, I, I chose the employment practice. Um, I spent six months there and I... It was, it was just confirmed for me that it, it really wasn't the kind of fit and the kind of work I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I was invited by someone I looked up to at the time to spend six months in the mergers and acquisitions practice group um, or department to see how I'd, I'd find it. Mm. Um, I agreed. I spent six months there. I loved it so much. I didn't want to do a fourth rotation anywhere else. Mm. Um, and they loved me so much that they motivated for me to stay. So I did two rotations in the same team. Sure, amazing. Um, and, and I loved it. Mm. We, mm. we did the kind of work I always imagined myself doing, right? I felt like I worked at the best law firm. I was working alongside some of the most brilliant lawyers mm. on the continent. Mm. And we were serving some of the best clients in the world. Sure. Um, and it, I just loved the exhilaration of working very hard on something, mm. waking up the mm. next morning, opening the newspaper, and two or three my transactions that I'm working on every day are in the newspaper. It always felt like I was doing groundbreaking stuff mm, mm. Um, that, that made a big impact in the country. And that resonated quite a bit for me. Um, I always also wanted to feel like what I do on a daily basis has a broader place in society and a bigger impact. And we happened at the time to be working on some fantastic transactions which were creating jobs, 
which were expanding markets, not only in South Africa, but in the rest of Africa, mm. which were growing economies. And, and for me, that felt like a way of giving back, mm, doing mm. this amazing work that was just making a difference yeah. and just pumping lots of foreign capital into the country, which is what we needed at the time. And so I just loved it. I loved the energy. I loved the people. I loved the characters. Um, I loved the kind of work that we did. And it just, it resonated with me, right? Because as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, you're kind of spending half of your time um, writing documents mm. and drafting. So you're researching and you're dealing with complex concepts and you're um you know, you're enticing the nerd in you. But the other half of the time, you're interacting with clients, with other advisors, with um, other super smart people on the work that you're doing. Mm. And that also feeds the socialite in you. So it felt like quite a nice way to marry the, you know, the extrovert in me with the nerd in me. And I felt every single day helped to, to marry those two. So I chose to then um, get admitted, um, retained in yeah. the MA um, practice group and mm. I've been there ever since. Um, anyone you speak to who does MA law will tell you that uh, <laughs> it is synonymous with super late nights, mm, um, mm, mm. days that turn into nights and nights that turn into days and too often you find yourself sort of cross-nighting at the office um, and that's what the first few years of my career felt like, just an endless churn, right? A, just an endless slog, just hard work and and more hard work and hard work getting rewarded with a lot more hard work. Um, but I just kept my head down. Um, I did what was required of me. Mm. I pushed the long hours and I was fortunate enough to have the kind of mentors and sponsors within the firm yeah. who supported me um, because it wasn't always easy, right? I remember... Um, at around early senior associates, I started um, feeling a little bit out of place. Um, yeah. I felt a little bit like I didn't belong. And this was often agitated by the fact that I'd look around and I, I just wouldn't see other black women operating in my space. Hmm. Um, and I'd look up the ladder to sort of leadership and um, not just within my firm, but within sort of my sector and industry as yeah, a whole and yeah. not see people who look like me who've made it to the top. Um, and this was initially shocking, but at some point it was depressing because mm -hmm. I wondered whether I was working hard and that, and whether this would amount to anything um, or whether like many other women um, who look like me, I just sort of leave the sector because they just, there wasn't a crit critical mass of people who mm. look like me. Mm. Um, but I suppose given my nature and how I tend to be stubborn with this thing, um, I pushed on, right? Yeah. And I, I kept sort of keeping my head down, working hard, asking difficult questions of my organization mm. and, and the leadership that I'd encounter. But I didn't let it completely cripple me. Mm. Um, until I was maybe in my third year of senior associateship, um, I knew at the time that I was doing very well technically, but um, I didn't, I, I hadn't had sort of this confirmed um, by absolutely everybody that I was speaking to. Mm. Um, and I started getting tapped on the shoulder by a couple of my mentors, my sponsors, and some of the people that I was close to in the firm's leadership. And they were sort of encouraging me to think about applying for partnership. Sure. Um, mm. And I remember on the one hand feeling quite flattered by this because this was finally the validation that I was looking mm, for. Mm. Um, I was putting blood, sweat and tears into the work that I do. And finally, people were recognizing it enough to invite me into the firm's leadership. Mm, into the inner um, circle. Exactly, mm. into the inner circle. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, but I just started getting this sense of imposter syndrome creeping in. Sure. Um, making me question whether I did in fact deserve this, whether I had in fact earned this, whether I was in fact good enough for this, or if people maybe had ulterior motives, mm. um, maybe they needed more 
black woman in the leadership and maybe that's the only reason why I was invited. I, I just started getting these thoughts that were spiraling mm-hmm. out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember struggling deeply with this and asking people, listen, why do you guys want me to apply for partnership? Is it because you feel I'm technically ready and that I have what it takes to build a practice or are there other reasons for it? Um, and everyone I spoke to was like, dude, no, you're ready. Like technically you're there. Clients love you. Your colleagues love you. Mm. Um, you're doing some fantastic work and you're on your way to building a great practice. Like you have what it takes to excel as a partner at Bowman's. It's so, um, mm, mm, sorry. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Please go ahead. I was going to say, it's so interesting that you, 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 you list all this motivation that you need and when I was reading Lean In, it just it just highlighted that, you know, a man wouldn't have waited to be tapped on the shoulder to be told that, okay, you are ready for um to apply for partnership. He would have just winged it and, and, and figured it out once he's once he's done with the application. So it's I find it incredibly amazing that you waited for all this, you know, um motivation and encouragement that you're ready and validation, even though a little part of you knew that you might be ready. You really just needed that extra push, which 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 um studies show that men don't even need. No, you're so spot on. Like guys are just the masters of winging it, right? And and I think it it boils down to sort of a confidence level that that women often don't allow themselves to have. Mm. Um, guys are just like, okay, this role feels bigger than I am, but I'll figure it out when I get fail it. forward. And women are like, mm, mm. Exactly, and women are like. Let me wait until I already demonstrate that I am performing sure. at this level before sure. I move on. And I, I just, yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. I was, I had my ass kicked by imposter syndrome. Mm. I, I was completely crippled. And people were like, dude, you're ready. Put this application in. Um, and I eventually submitted an application, but I felt like I wasn't ready. Sure. Um, and God always shows up for me in these moments when I'm completely lost. Mm. And this is one example where he, he really showed up as I'm struggling with all of this and submitting an application, which I felt like wasn't good enough, even though literally this document was 30 pages long, demonstrating all the reasons why I'm why looking for partnership. Mm. Mm. I didn't feel it. I couldn't allow myself to feel it. And in this moment of just spiraling, um, my husband gets an opportunity to work in Germany. Hmm. And he says, dude, we're not going to do long distance. We've only been married for three years. We're too young to test our marriage like that. Yeah. Come with me. Yeah. Let's spend a year abroad. This will give you an opportunity to sort of introspect and find yourself. And this will also give me an opportunity to smash this thing out of the park that I've been asked to do. And I remember thinking that night, there's no BEE in Germany. Yo. Like, if I go there, and if I succeed, it will only be because I have what it takes as a technical lawyer sure. to operate on that level. 100%, and that yeah. will kill every other idea in my head that maybe I'm being offered this thing because I'm a black mm, female. Mm. And I agreed. Um, and luckily at the time, I had just come back from a women's conference in Frankfurt where I met some exceptional women lawyers in the M&A space. Um, and I reached out to them and, and one of them who we, we, just, we started chatting and we'd connected quite well. Um, was working in Munich at Freshfields. Mm. So I said, dude, my husband's going to be working in Munich. Um, do you think there's a world where I can come work at your firm as an M&A lawyer? Mm. I just want to see if I can do this thing on an international scale. Hmm. Uh, and she was like, of course, come through. Within two weeks, I had gone through interviews, gone through assessments, and I had a job to work as an associate at Freshfields in Munich. Mind you, I don't speak any German. Um, I don't know anyone other than this fantastic sort of friend that I've made, mm. but I was like, I'm going to give this my all. 
And if I can do this and do this well, then no one will ever, ever, ever tell me that I'm not good enough. And I will never tell myself that I'm not good enough because I do have what it takes. Sure. What an exciting story. I literally feel like it was me. Like, I feel so happy for you. <laughs> what an exciting story. Oh, my goodness. Like, I just got this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah, dude, it was exhilarating. So sure. Then I go, I spend a year there. Mm. I think within the first couple of weeks, I got the attention of one of the top private equity lawyers in the, in the whole region. Um, he just took a liking to me and I just respected him so much. And he was like, dude, come work with me. I'm going to be working on the biggest transaction in Europe and in the US um, for the year. And this is, if this goes through, it's going to be groundbreaking stuff. Do you want to be on my team? And I was like, absolutely. So I work with this guy. I'm sort of made lead associate of one of the key work streams for this transaction. And I work my ass off on this transaction i've never worked so hard my whole life Mm. um i just put in the kind of crazy hours that i used to as a junior junior lawyer Mm. but most importantly i just it all came naturally i mean i was negotiating with lawyers who are far more senior than me who are experienced in german law which i wasn't and i was doing a good job um and i remember one moment saying look at you like you were busy doubting yourself when you were operating as a lawyer on the basis of a legal system that you studied and here you are learning on the fly and doing a fantastic job um i did such a good job that i was promoted mind you i was on a one-year secondment Mm. no one promotes people on secondment Mm. it's completely unheard of but they were so impressed with how I performed that they promoted me. Um, and that came with obviously some great financial rewards. Yay. But more than anything, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was nice morning. <laughs> <laughs> but not only did it come with the financial reward, it came with the validation that I needed. Yo. That I can do this thing and that I'm good at it. And I was so energized that I had to come back home. And just pick up where I was, this time without the crippling fears Mm. and the crippling imposter syndrome. And I mean, you know, I had offers to stay. I I almost got poached by one bank and one law firm while I was there. But I was like, no, I have some unfinished business back home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And I need to do this thing properly. I need to finish off what I started. Mm. So I came Mm. back a year later. I was partner at Bowman's and I had a kick-ass year. Came back with two German clients who happened to be doing some massive transactions in South Africa. So I ran those deals for them. And dude, the rest is history. Like every time I feel like doubting myself, I pull up some of the reference letters that I got and the emails that people wrote or, you know, the farewell emails that I got and people reflecting on my year there. And I remind myself that, dude, I I have what it takes. I just need to stop doubting myself and go for gold. What, a, what an exciting, exciting story. I, I, um, you should see the smile on my face. I'm so excited for you. And it, it just sounds amazing, um, especially to, you know, the, 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 like I said, I, I do have younger listeners and, you know, somebody in Soweto or, or an equivalent township who is really not seeing the light in terms of finances. The fact that one day they can get to where you are is such a huge motivating factor. You have no idea that you, you are literally the embodiment of somebody who who's not sure whether they will end up seeing all these great things that you've shared with us. Thank you so much for sharing. That is, no, oh, yo, that is I, exciting. I, no, I really hope this inspires someone, man, because I've always believed in the power of magic moments, mm. right? And if there's anyone who's sitting there doubting how they go from where they are to, you know, where they want to be, I just want to encourage them to look out for those magic moments because those are the ones that unlock opportunity, right? It's the moment of me being proactive about getting my high school financed mm. and my working with my folks to get a scholarship, which would give me access to the finances that we needed, but also some of the social resources and mentorships mm. that I needed mm. to sort of help groom me to, you know, the feeling like a failure and needing someone to help me figure out my career journey and how I, you know, 
become the kind of lawyer I want to be, which leads me to a lunch in Fenton with someone I've never met before, who inspires me to mm. do that work at a firm that helps me figure out exactly what I want to do. You know, they're magic moments mm. in, in many interactions and something might feel small, you know, something as small as a conversation with someone can unlock the biggest thing. So don't ignore those moments, invest in them. Mm. Um, they're all connect those dots always ultimately mm, connect mm. and i always reflect on my own magic moments and go yo i'm so grateful that i was at that women's conference in frankfurt in the country which i would a year later end up happen to you know my husband just happened to get an opportunity to work there and the connections that i made with other powerful women in that space then served me but you know, so yeah, no, you are the embodiment of, 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 of magic moments. Sure, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually in disbelief, hey? <laughs> wow. The dots all connect, right? And, and I think it's important for people to just also organically let these magic moments come together. Mm. Um, oftentimes, you know, people want to network just so that, you know, they can use you for the next mm. opportunity. But sometimes... It's bigger it's okay, than that. Mm. Yeah, to meet a powerful woman and just say, dude, I like the way you think. Can we be friends just so that I can see you think and mm. hear you think mm. for myself and mm. have conversations with you so that one day I can think like you, mm. you know? Mm. That's all it is. And then you realize a year later, oh my goodness, I've been connecting with this person at random and now here's an, a moment in my life where this person can actually contribute to my trajectory. Let me see if they'd be willing to help me get a job. You know, mm. not just get someone's business card and then the next day say, hey, I met you yesterday, please give me a job. Yo, yeah. Let these things happen organically. Um, and they will open more doors for you than you could sort of engineer if you're trying to force these things to happen. Sure. Um, Lerato, at what moment or point in your life did you really just sit down and say, yeah, Nemo Gail, you're a big deal. Like when, when, when was that moment where you were just so overwhelmed by your success and how, how, how well you've been doing for yourself that you really just cast out all the doubt, you cast out every negative thing that's been thrown your way, you cast out every bad memory of, of your challenges um, in the profession or the challenges in your life. When did you just take it all in and say, this is it? Tibelo, I remember this moment like it was yesterday. Now I've got tears in my eyes because the story, it sounds small, right, to someone yeah. listening, but I cannot tell you how much it means to me. Mm. It was last year. I was five and a half months pregnant. Mm, mm. I was a junior lawyer, still making a name for myself. Mm. And junior partner. Sorry, junior partner, yeah, still yeah. making a name for myself. Mm. And I was on this mind-blowingly complex transaction that I had to run on my own. Sure. And I remember we sort of had initial engagements with clients. And I'd done some work for them previously and they were starting to like me. This is a German client and they're like, listen, this is short notice, but we need to negotiate this transaction on an accelerated basis mm. um this is so important to our board that six of us are flying to south africa and we're going to work with you to get this thing done we need it done asap mm. and these guys fly in and we set up negotiations with the other side and i remember walking into a boardroom with maybe 20 25 people in it mm. and the the race and gender scales were not on my side yeah like i was so short because i couldn't wear heels i was that <laughs> pregnant i know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> and just i couldn't even wear my favorite power suit yes. because it's just not working and i just felt like i didn't look my best and I could feel the stairs on the other side of the table. People going, is this the best that these people could bring? <laughs> is this what we get? <laughs> yeah. And my client's like, dude, we'd like you to run the meeting. Let's go. Mm. And first hour, I start out lukewarm. Next hour, I start heating up. Mm. 
negotiation starts and things get rough and fun. And I think that meeting went on for about nine hours. Yes. And towards the end of the day, I had the CEO of the other side go, wow, you drive a hard bargain. This has been such a tough negotiation. You let nothing go, do you? Mm-hmm. And I looked at the rest of the people on the other side. Dude, they look worn down. They were tired. <laughs> I had Against this pregnant them. mama. <laughs> exactly. I had exhausted them. And my client afterwards said, dude, we need God for a drink. This was a fantastic first day of negotiations. And we sat down and I got the most glowing review from my clients. I got home that night bone tired, but I was so proud of myself. That chief, so pregnant, so tired, you know. And so amazing. (laughs) And yet you killed this day. And we had many, many more days like that until this deal was ultimately signed and closed. And I just was beaming with pride. Incredible. Um, And if I ever have moments of self-doubt, I will remind myself of that day when I was pregnant and exhausted and I still... Like, this is the content I signed up for, literally, you know? (laughs) And well, thank you so much for sharing that your story so beautifully. Like, you literally took us on a on a scenic view of your life and I promise you I was on the plane to Munich with you like I just imagined myself there and I imagined myself you know I imagined the offers I was getting from the bank that side like thank you so much for making it so scenic and so beautiful um so just in the interest of time I'd like us to wrap up the conversation and you know I really appreciate that um, to a certain extent, I'm able to use this platform to also really amplify the matters, um, you know, the, the issues in our country that matter. And just to close off the conversation, I really think we'd I'd be doing it, um, you know, you and I and, and our listeners or the country a disservice without actually speaking about um, the, pan- the pandemic that is uh, domestic violence, uh, GBV. So just to close off the conversation, I have a question here that reads, South Africa is riddled with domestic violence perpetuated against women. How can we as women in the legal profession play a role in combating the social ill? Sure. Um, This is a very interesting question for me, Devela, because I'm, you know, the the last couple of weeks have been very difficult, Mm. um, just from a mental health perspective. Mm. Like, I've been waking up feeling so drained, like I'm mourning the loss of someone that I know and love. And it's, I've had to remind Mm. myself, we're living in a tough time, and Mm. we're not only dealing with the pandemic that is COVID, but we are indeed dealing with just the pandemic that is just gender-based violence Mm. and just how prevalent it is. And I felt so powerless um, mm-hmm. in the space that I am to change it. But I, I'm also reflecting on the role that I can play as, as a lawyer mm-hmm. um, in this space. And I think one of the things that we could do is just double up on the pro bono assistance that we're offering sure, so important. people in this yeah, space. I mean, yeah. I, we have a pro bono clinic at Bowman's that mm-hmm. helps sort of domestic abuse women who have just sort of come literally yesterday, my husband beat me up. What do I do today? Mm. Um, And I think to a large degree, we see this, okay, if I do one or two cases a a year, I've really ticked, I've served my time. Yeah, do the hours. Yes, yes. That is not the kind of spirit that this era that we need, we're in needs. We need to wake up and say, are there any new cases today? I can Mm. allocate two hours to someone. Is there anybody in need? So, the first thing we can do is double up on our existing yeah. hours. Mm, mm. Um, there are many initiatives that offer free legal advice to women who've been abused. Phone, email now and mm. offer to do more. Mm. If you're helping five victims a year, make it 10 a month. Sure. Find the time and help someone, especially if you're a senior lawyer. Mm. You can get CAs, associates to work with you yeah. to help more people. If, the, if if junior lawyers are seeing senior lawyers take this thing seriously and give back mm, and give mm. back hard, 
they will also come want to you. double up yeah. yeah yeah so let's let's do this it's time to do more pro bono work in the space um so let's do it secondly there are amazing organizations mm. that are helping people who have just or who have recently gone through incredible gender based violence one of them that's coming to mind is lawyers against abuse which offers fantastic legal, psychosocial, and just overall support mm. to women who've been abused. Well, not just women, but children. Um, and, you know, find your, I'm, I'm not advocating for this one only, but find your organization that's making an impact. Mm. Mm. Call or email them and say, what are you struggling with right now? What do you need? Is it care packs for women who've just been raped? Is it legal advice? Is it someone to look over your templates? Is it your, someone to yeah. help with populating protection orders? Is it someone to go to a police station to help pick up a doctor? What What do you need doing and how can I help? Mm. Um, and even if you take on something that will take an hour of your time or just a hundred rand of your bank account, mm. do something, start somewhere. And I think if you just do that, use your legal skills to help from a pro bono perspective and use your compassion to help from um, your a, financial a perspective level. or just being there for someone on a human level, like mm. you put it. That's a start and that will give birth to other ways um, that you can give. I think the time for only talking and only posting and only, you know, being outraged, that time is is slowly running out yeah. now we need to act yeah. and there are many fantastic avenues and organizations that we can partner with in order to make a meaningful difference in mm. the lives of people mm. who've been impacted mm. and it will definitely have a ripple effect sure yeah without a doubt without a doubt sure Lerato, thank you so much so so much for your invaluable contribution to this platform thank you for availing your time thank you for once again, sharing your story so beautifully with us. I can't thank you enough, actually. You are most welcome. I can't thank you enough for letting me join you to have this conversation. Um, it's it's incredible the work that you do for, for young minds um, and young people in the legal space. So please keep doing the fantastic work that you do. I wish you nothing but success. Uh, because your success means the success of many other women who look like me, which for me is, mm. is so important. Mm. I believe in legacy. I believe in representation. Mm. Uh, and if we can help other people um, climb these spaces that we struggled with climbing, I mm. think we would have made a huge contribution mm. um, to society. So please keep doing what you do and keep helping other women take up space and cement their space um, as, as they grow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lerato.